only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit the god of mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to Absent Minded, the draft edition. And obviously we have a lot to talk about and I brought in everyone's favorite guy. And it's Drake, Matt Drake, in a similar fashion to James Bond. You just show up everywhere nowadays, Matt. Correct. Where, where, wherever I'm needed, wherever I get called by MI6, you know? Yeah. And, um, well, CTV called on you in the playoffs. Uh, you think you'd be going back there for, for some shows uh, during the regular season? Uh, it's entirely possible. I mean, they, I think they liked what I was doing. Um, if they didn't, they wouldn't have brought me back after the Vegas series, but they did. And I got to do a lot of hits with uh, Georges Larac, and uh, it was fun. Uh, so I think, yeah, for sure, if they if they send me an email or they ask me, I'll, I'll definitely go back next season as well. You should definitely ask Larac how it was to be relegated with Modo. Uh, I'm sure he's not popular. <laughs> you won't be popular after that. <laughs> yeah, the last uh, thing you want to do is uh, anger somebody of his stature because, like, I'm, I'm a big dude, but he's much bigger. Yeah, there are, there are some great pictures of you and, and uh, Larac out there. And, uh, yeah, you should go watch the, look at them because it's, it's great. But we're here to speak about the draft. And I'll be honest. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Logan Mayu at the end of the podcast. So either you scroll forward to hear that, and I'm going to say something. So if you don't want to hear about it, you just cut off the podcast at that time. Uh, if, if you're interested in some of the other prospects that, that Montreal obviously got in, in this year's draft, uh, please continue listening from now on. And, and let's start with uh, Riley Kidney. And uh, hopefully it's not Kidney Stones he's named after, but rather an important part of the body. Um, you wrote the, the, uh, getting to know article about him, didn't you? I did. Yeah. He's a very interesting case as well, because, um, I think if he had a longer season, he might've gone up a little bit higher on people's draft boards. He really kind of exploded in the playoffs in the QMJHL. And I think that's where he got, uh, on the radar for the Habs, so to speak, because his playoffs were quite ridiculous i mean he had a playoffs if i look it up real quickly just to make sure that i don't get it wrong but his regular season was pretty good 38 points through 33 games but then in nine playoff games he managed to put up 17 points so big time playoff performer uh this is a highly skilled player right so when they went in the second round they went with two different guys that have a lot of puck skills and riley kidney is one of those guys tons of puck skills he can maneuver with the puck he's a pretty good skater uh needs a little bit of work in terms of his skating but the 
amount of hockey IQ he has and puck skills that he has is what really put him on the radar for the Montreal Canadiens. This is a guy uh, who can do pretty much everything with the puck. Uh, he definitely maneuvers in the offensive zone really well. And he was a focal point for uh, Akadzi Bathurst Titan team that kind of really needed somebody like that. Uh, they didn't get too far in the playoffs, but his performance in the playoffs in particular was amazing. And that put him on the radar. And uh, this, is a, this is a really good pick for the Habs. I think it could end up being a steal for them. If he can smooth out some of the other areas of his game where he needs some work, uh, it could be an absolute steal for them in the second round. Because again, if he had a longer season with what this kid showed in the playoffs, there's a good chance he could have ended up higher on people's draft boards. And in, in some ways, we have to acknowledge the fact as well that um, these are the kind of picks that Montreal has gone for in the second round the last couple of years. Romanoff, Villanen, uh, last year, I forgot who it was, but th th there seems to have been hockey IQ with one or two things that needs to be ironed out in order for, for, for them to take that next step. And also looking for players that are willing to adjust into that system. Absolutely. I mean, they're, they're obviously looking for guys that kind of fit the mold of what they do. Kidney is a really interesting example of that, because again, this is a guy who has a couple of areas, uh, particularly in skating and strength that he needs to work on. But you look at the Habs, they're kind of a smaller, speedier team that thrives in transition. So does Riley Kidney. Uh, Mitch Brown puts out trackers for CHL players in Canada. Um, and I guess America as well for any teams that are in the CHL there. But when you look at his numbers that he put up for Riley Kidney in terms of uh, controlled exits and controlled entries for zone exits and zone entries, his numbers are sparkling, like absolutely sparkling. This is a kid who thrives in transition and Montreal is probably looking at that and going, okay, this is somebody where we can work with him on his strength, right? Strength is something anybody can work on. You get him in a pro program. Uh, with professional strength and conditioning coaches, they're going to get stronger. They're going to get bigger. Not a problem. Skating, get him working with a good skating coach and he's going to be able to smooth out some of those skating areas. But that intelligence and transition is something that I think Montreal was looking at. And I think they're looking at it a lot in the second round, like you mentioned, trying to pick up guys that maybe are getting overlooked by other teams because they have those areas for improvement. And Montreal's trying to scoop them up because you know what? It fits their mold. And this is one of those picks that, you know, I, I like it a lot. We also have another one, uh, another player. They went back to Finland. They went back actually to Kalpa, uh, where Jani Ikonen played two years or didn't play for two years because he was injured most of the time. But Oliver Kapanen sore looks like a very good pick. Yeah, he's, a, I don't, honestly, I have to admit, I knew nothing about him until they announced that pick. And then I took a look at it and uh, I, I wrote the announcement on that one. Scott took care of the getting to know article where he dove a little bit deeper into what he can do. But I thought it was super interesting when you look at his, uh, his under 20 numbers with Kalpa, that he was over a point per game, right? Super interesting. Obviously, he's going to get a chance probably to play in the Liga, uh, in like, you know, the, the actual, you know, top tier league in Finland which should be interesting to see what he can do there. But interestingly enough, uh, the very day after he got drafted, he scored a beautiful backhander against uh, the United States, right? So, Indeed, and, and I have to point out as well that he was loaned up for five games to, to uh, Jokp in, in Mestis, where he also is a point-per-game player. And he, he seems to be kind of throwing his weight around a little bit, because there are some penalty minutes there as well. Yeah, and he's a big boy too, right? He's 6'1", and I think, what do they list him at? Like 171. 
six uh, one and one hundred seventy one. You're pretty skinny, but you're still big, right? This is a guy who probably will be able to throw his weight around at the men's level, especially if he adds a few pounds, uh, gets into the gym there. I mean, it's it's a little bit like the same um, height and weight that Kotkaniemi had when, <laughs> when he came over. Uh, but on the other hand, now Kapanen won't have the same pressure about going into the NHL or staying with the AHL team or going back to an imploding uh, team in Finland which as it was at the time um, but he can really stay in Kalpa and and work uh, on that uh, part the skating but also build up his his muscles around the body and, and maybe not do as Kotkaniemi has done and built up too much on over on top of the body or, or upper body strength uh, so he raises the center of gravity he needs to keep that center of gravity low build up his his balance his core and and the uh, leg muscles as well, uh, but but what stands out when it comes to Kapanen is actually his shot. Yeah, that's what uh, everybody has noted about him. Scott wrote about it as well in the Getting to Know article that he likes to score from range. Right, he's got uh, pretty high level shooting mechanics in terms of generating force and getting velocity on his shot. Uh, we saw that with the goal he scored against the U.S. Man, he took a backhander. You don't see a lot of teenagers that can get that kind of a velocity on a backhander right if you can do that it 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 shows a lot about what your like your overall mechanics being ahead of your years and obviously you know being a point per game player in the the u20 in calpa and then also like you mentioned with mestis he was also a point per game player uh what was it three goals in five games he obviously likes to shoot and he obviously does it quite well and and the assist is probably uh with with the shot that he has it wouldn't surprise me because i haven't watched the highlights all the time but but it wouldn't surprise me if the the, re, the rebounds are the assist or his assists are rebounds for that other players nets so so there is that as well because the shot is really really good uh i'm hoping to get hold of of the kalpas coach in order to speak to him a little bit i have spoken about uh, with him as as you guys know uh, in regards to Yone Ekonen, and, and hopefully he will answer a few more questions on about a new player right now that is staying, hopefully staying on the ice. Um, Montreal also went back to Russia for a defender, a defender out of Lada Togliagi, and I butchered that name, I know. Uh, Lada, the former car or, or the car factory that, um, what is interesting, and I think we mentioned that before when it comes to Russian teams, is that they are former union teams more or less you got uh torpedo uh which is a naval um academy um you got uh, obviously tractor we got locomotive etc etc uh that has built up f- former union or army kgb teams that for for one reason or another stayed around seska dinamo etc etc but it's it's really cool um he has signed for spartak which is the third team in Moscow, in, in the Moscow region. It's the underdog uh, for the upcoming season. Uh, it remains to be seen if he can hack it into the KHL or if he needs a, a VHL year more. Uh, I've spoken to, to Jillian Kemmerer about him, and she will do some investigation and hopefully come back on the pod here and, and talk about him. Uh, but a defender that looks to be able to skate and have a decent shot. Yeah, again, another guy uh, that I didn't know much about until the Habs chose him, but uh, obviously somebody who has a good shot. 
we like our Russian defenders in Montreal. Absolutely. We're all big uh, Andre Markov fans. So we're always looking for the next Andre Markov. And we feel like we may have found that with Alexander Romanov, but you know, maybe it's going to be Kostenko. I mean, what I've read about him is that he's got really good hands, uh, good size, uh, added what 20 pounds ahead of the 2021, uh, 2021 season without necessarily taking away from anything else that he was able to do. And uh, yeah, definitely somebody that we can keep our eye on. I mean, for sure. Good news for you that the, the Habs managed to actually restock the European prospect covered a little bit this year. So you got somebody to cover on EPR. Yeah. I actually forgotten that Friedrich Grisha was coming back as well. So, so there I, I will have full, uh, full coverage as normal. And uh, I've already spoken to Mrs. Seb and uh, hopefully we'll be able to, to travel a bit when, once both of us have gotten uh, our shots for, for COVID or against COVID. And uh, that means Finland's open up and uh, with a little bit of, of timing, we might be able to, to get into Russia as well, be it St. Petersburg for an away game or, or Moscow for, for, a, uh, for a home game. But it would be an awesome experience. I've been to Russia before and uh, I can recommend anyone to go to either St. Petersburg, which I have visited, and uh, Moscow that I haven't, but I always want to, especially as a history teacher as well. Um, Koskenko is, is very interesting. And um, actually, Julian Kemmerer said that uh, we have to remember that it's uh, Fedorov, that, uh, the old Detroit player and the KLM uh, Fedorov, uh, no, not KLM, but Detroit player, uh, that is in charge of the uh, youth development program in, in uh, Russia nowadays. So partly uh, we got um, Kostenko being part of that because he's in Russia, but also Sobolev, who we'll talk to, to about a little bit later, he's part of that because obviously he's eligible for the under-20 program and the World Junior Championship. Yes, and uh, Sobolev is super interesting because he's apparently decided that he wants to go to Windsor next year and play in North America. I guess, according to him, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but he said, you know, in Russia, they don't necessarily allow defensemen to develop that offensive side of their game. Right. Uh, I think, you know, better than anybody, the Russian teams, they don't necessarily trust their super young defenders. We saw it. I, I remember so many different articles coming from you, letting us know about the usage of Alexander Romanov, how he wouldn't necessarily get big minutes in the KHL. And Sobolev apparently has decided he wants to go and play for the Windsor Spitfires next year so he can work specifically on his offensive game. So I, I like that from a Russian defender that's willing to come out of his comfort zone, come out of his home country, go to a place he's never lived before, uh, work on his offensive game, work on the smaller ice in North America. I mean, I think there's a lot he can learn in the KHL still, obviously. Uh, I don't think he's actually even played a game in the KHL yet. I think he was mostly playing in the MHL. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong on that as well. No, but, no, you're right. And it's, but it's if he goes, yeah, continue, man. Sorry, yeah. If he goes to Windsor, I think the difference is he's going to get a lot of minutes, right? And I think young defenders they probably need those minutes. So I think he's. Uh, I, I like the fact that he's chasing those minutes and trying to improve himself uh, by going to a different league. Yeah, there, I mean, like there are obvious pros and cons because KHL is arguably the, the second best league in the world. We have to remember that. Yep. And and obviously you're not going to get big minutes as a young defender. Uh, Russia is, is turning a little bit away from it, at, at least certain teams are, because they do want to, I mean, not everyone has the budget of the top teams, so, so they have to develop some of the players, but obviously with the 
Um, they are, I saw there is an article to, to abolish the draft in the athletic coming in that came out today. And the Russia wants to have more of a football or, or a soccer kind of, of the setup where they actually get paid exactly what the player is worth to the NHL team rather than a symbolic sum that all the other European countries have. So, but mm -hmm. I, I think that, you know, for, for Sobolev, it's also good to work on the English, getting comfortable with that. I think that might actually be the most important thing. Um, I don't think for, for defenders, I think it's easier to go to the smaller rink, um, whereas to go to Europe, it, it's diff more difficult because suddenly you're going to be drawn out of position much, much easier. Uh, so, so there is that. Um, it will be very interesting to, to follow him. Uh, we jumped ahead, obviously, but, but um, it also seems that Russia is starting to build up these young defenders. Uh, obviously, we saw a, a Montreal draft, uh, drafted player and a Russian defender uh, hoist a cup this year and last year as well. We got Roman yep. ourselves. Uh, and there are other Russian defenders coming up. So I think you know, they, they've also worked on... on getting that area for their own hockey program to 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 it's not all about forward skills anymore it's also about defensive skill and taking a look of what finland who is also coming there with Hayskanen, etc and obviously what sweden have done the last couple of years uh, so so there is that, that that they are looking to improve their different setup but obviously losing players uh to the ohl and and other junior leagues in, in North America is not good. And, and Russia will have to change that setting one way or another. Either they, they're happy to, to let that happen and continue this route, or they're going to have to start playing them and, and losing them maybe a little bit later, but on the other hand, keeping them in Russia for a bit longer. Uh, we jumped over William Trudeau, um, obviously French guy, so I'm going to leave this to you. Yeah, Trudeau, uh, to be perfectly honest, not a player that I knew a ton about uh, prior to the draft. Do you know as well, anything right? about any of these players? <laughs> <laughs> uh, to be honest, like I had my guys, right? Like in the first round, I said this to anybody who would listen. I really wanted to have to draft Xavier Borgo, uh, but he wasn't on the board. That was a guy I had watched a lot because I watch a lot of the Shawinigan uh, Cataract. Um, I do watch a lot of Q, though, and I did actually get the opportunity to see uh, Trudeau play a few times. He's an interesting pick, right? He's not a point-per-game guy in the QMJHL. Uh, he's not lot, bad. It? Because it, it is a goal-scoring league, isn't it? It is. It absolutely is. So for him to not be a point-per-game is definitely concerning. But this is a player who's not really bad at anything, right? All the aspects of his game are pretty good, right? He's steady. So he's kind of a safe pick. It sounds Perhaps, more like a Jacob right? Olofsson, uh, uh, Lucas Vedemo kind of pick. Yeah, and the other thing too is like with defensemen, you don't necessarily expect to be getting a point per game, right? Even in the junior levels in, in Canada, the guys who get a point per game, those are like the high level prospects, right? And if he was getting a point per game, he probably wouldn't have been available, you know, as late as he was in the draft. The interesting thing about him is that, like I said, he's not really bad at anything. All the aspects of his game are just pretty good right? He's, he's not flashy, but he also provides you a steady presence on the blue line. So I think that the Habs looked at this pick as somebody who, because he doesn't have anything that's, that's bad, there's no glaring uh, problems with his game. 
opposite of what they do in round two, right? In round two, they're kind of looking for people who maybe have a couple of issues in their game, but they have intriguing upside. Here, they went for a player who doesn't necessarily have that crazy upside, but his floor is also very, very high as well. So there's not like they, they believe that this is a player who can help them in the future, either in the AHL or potentially even the NHL level. His highest projection is probably somewhere in the middle of your defensive pairings if everything goes perfectly for him. But at the same time, you know, he stands a reasonably good chance of cracking an NHL roster one day, um, especially for how low he was drafted. He stands a better chance than most people drafted around that time. So I think that was what they were doing here is they were going for kind of a safer pick where in the second round they were going for more uh, uh, possible home runs. Um, we obviously spoke about Sobolev, uh, Joshua Roy. I know even if I were watching, <laughs> was watching the, the spring books take on the British Lions, uh, <laughs> I was part of the, of, of, of the chat group at, at that point, and I know everyone was screaming for Joshua Roy. Um, what it makes him stand out, and why did people scream about him? Because I was screaming for someone else at that time. Well, Joshua Roy, this is a player I do know a little bit about, right? He's a very interesting case, and I think he dropped on draft lists as a result of splitting his time between two teams. He reportedly asked for a trade. He was playing for the St. John Sea Dogs and reportedly asked for a trade. He didn't want to be there anymore, uh, so they sent him over to uh, Sherbrooke, uh, still in the QMJHL. So splitting time between two teams in a year where scouting traveling wasn't happening as much, I think affected how people got the opportunity to actually evaluate him. Over it seems game. like uh, if we draw a parallel here to someone that fell a little bit in the draft, uh, Lucelle also playing for two SHL teams, but he yeah. fell as well. And, and it seems like when, when players force their way out of, of one club into another or ask for, for it in, in the best way possible, scouts t- still take that as a negative thing. Absolutely. And I think good parallel there to a guy in Europe that had kind of the same thing going on. When you play for two different teams, especially during a year where COVID messed everything up, people don't get really get much of a chance to take a look at you. This is a guy in Roya that's like, he's pretty much all offense, right? He's got a great shot, good vision, uh, good playmaker, good IQ. Uh, everything he does offensively is good. He needs to work more on his 200-foot game um, on his defense. But this is a guy that, like, if you had to compare him to somebody, I would maybe give him, you know, and this is a bit of a, a reach of, in terms of a comparison, but we could compare him a little bit to Jonathan Drouin in terms of this is a guy who does a lot offensively, uh, and he's very intriguing in terms of the toolbox that he has on offense. So this is a guy, honestly, to get him as late as they did, I, it, it could end up being the steal of the draft. If everything goes well with him, this is a guy who easily gets into your middle six uh, in the NHL. Uh, but of course, you know, when it comes to a player who doesn't have a very strong 200 foot game, uh, the floor is also pretty low as well. So there's no guarantees, but this could be a steal of the draft for the Canadians uh, to get him that late. Obviously, we're always looking for steals and we, we always hype the, the draft prospects. But let's be realistic. If they're taking, you know, almost we, we can almost say in the second half of the draft, they are long shots. Definitely. There's there's no uh, there's no guarantee that this guy's going to make the NHL. Right. I mean, I think I think there is more or less a 50-50 chance when you come mm-hmm. into the second the second round that they will play an NHL game or two, uh, yeah. and then it and then it drops rapidly. So so we have to you know even if we say that uh, we can compare him to this or in best case scenario there there is a long long way to go. But the good thing is also they have a long long time to actually improve because they are still youngsters and we need to give them that time. Um, and it, it, I think this is especially true for the last two picks, uh, Xavier Simonot and, and uh, Joe Webritik. 
and Vrebetic. I thought it was a, a Czech player that I had to call down to my Czech contacts and ask about. Um, but but the goalie six six was it and and huge guy, not huge um, muscle wise yet. But he reminds me a little bit of Fredrik Dijov that we will hear about because he signed with the Hockey Allsvenskan team in, in Sweden uh, for, for the upcoming season. And uh, they, they are similar players. And there has been a lot of goalies in the, in the Montreal system. And we have to remember that goalies are, if we talk about long-term prospects, goalies are even longer-term prospects because they need more time to develop and, and um, get the nose for the, for the goal keeping job and uh, it is a tougher position maybe uh, because you are on the ice the whole time and there's no uh, way of, of, of well if, if you're not on the ice you've probably been subbed and that's not something you you want to achieve but um yeah Simono, another french sounding name oh he's absolutely french <laughs> uh, Simono. uh yeah he's an interesting pick uh overager right uh, and unlike uh, Verbetic, uh, the goalie, he is not six foot six at all. In fact, he's five foot seven. So this is one where the Habs kind of went after an undersized guy that was overlooked uh, already before. Uh, he's from Gatineau, so he's from pretty close to Ontario, but he still qualifies as uh, Quebecois. Uh, played for Drummondville and Charlottetown as well. And uh, this is one where the Habs, you know, it's a super late pick, right? It's a super late pick, so it's a lottery ticket. They're hoping that lightning strikes again. They know that in those late rounds, they've gotten some interesting players before. You look at what Jake Evans has done uh, as a member of the Montreal Canadiens. He's proven that you can find legitimate talent late down in those rounds. And this is kind of what they're hoping they got with Simano because Simano is, uh, you know, he's a skillsy player. Um, he's not obviously very big, so he does not have the size profile that a lot of teams are looking for. But he plays bigger than his size, right? Uh, super tenacious on the four check. He reminds you a little bit of like, um, kind of like Raphael uh, Harvey Pignard and also a little bit of Brendan Gallagher in terms of how, uh, like, I don't want to hold him up to Brendan Gallagher, obviously, as a comparison. That's a very tough comparison to live up to. But the, the way that he plays is, is similar in terms of like, he has no problem uh, being an agitator, getting involved physically, despite the fact that he's only five foot seven. Uh, this is a guy that, you know, the Habs aren't necessarily expecting him to come and blow the doors off offensively, but he has really good numbers in the QMJHL. So again, this is kind of one of those lottery tickets where you're banking on this guy's had some success at the junior level. Uh, he's basically a local player to Montreal, um, being from the same province. And, you know, the fact that he's overage meant that they were able to scoop him up super late. So again, like you said, there's a lot of work to be done and there's not necessarily a high or even a good chance of him making the, the, the league. But I think they were looking at this specifically as a comparable with Raphael Harvey Pignon. And they're thinking that, well, lightning's going to strike twice. We're going to get this guy and he's going to be similar to that. So this is a guy who will work up through the ranks. We probably expect him to play uh, in the ECHL next year uh, because he was an overager. He's probably going to go and play with Tuohy uh, Viara in the ECHL. So the Habs will get a lot of control over his development and what happens moving forward. And it's the new team in Troy River, Troy River, or, or yeah, my French, you heard, it's, it sucks. Just to be honest with it. The <laughs> three, call rivers. It three Rivers. <laughs> yeah, the Three Rivers. And the, hey, that logo is sick. Let's start with that. It's a sick logo. And I think uh, somebody like Simono is going to be stoked to put that on. Um, uh, again, having that team, uh, an ECHL team close to the Habs, is, is I think it's going to be huge. And especially when you get a guy like this, right? 
we know the Habs like to go after those undersized uh, kind of local forwards that are from like the QMJHL that are from this area. And you're, you're not going to be able to convince many European guys in those late rounds to come over and play ECHL, right? They could play pro in Europe and probably make as much, if not more money to play closer to home. But when it comes to those players that are from around here, you can take them in the sixth, seventh round and you can ask them, you know, Hey, do you want to go play in 20 next year? And they're going to be a lot more willing to do that than they would be to uh, go play for your ECHL team. That's somewhere, I don't know, down in the U S right. This is a big step for the Habs to have that availability to have players go there and play. And I think Simano is going to be one of the first stories where we get to see, you know, what that does. They bring the guy out of the queue, they send him over there and, uh, you know, maybe he'll get his opportunity at the AHL as well as a result of being able to go there. So this could be really interesting for the Habs in term, from a developmental standpoint as to what they can do with some of these later overage picks that they like to go after. Indeed. And, and uh, let's be honest as well. Uh, we named drop a few names here. Mitch Brown is a former Eyes on the Price reporter. Uh, David Saint-Louis is obviously involved in a lot of what's going on with the draft. Uh, um, you mentioned Scott, obviously, but uh, for Troy River, it's it's um, you have to really mention Andrew Sadanowski because he has been on that since the last or oh, for the last three four years. Absolutely, yeah. He he was the one who kind of told us before before anything was official that this was in the works, and he was following it a lot. So uh, big ups to him, man. I mean, we'll probably. I'll, I'll, I'll probably even try to see what I can do now that he's got that relationship established. Maybe I can steal it from him and I can go over there myself and go see some games. Yeah, yeah. And then it's going to be all me. <laughs> all you. Kidding. Yeah, yeah. James Bond takes over. We're going to call you 007 from now on, Matt. Uh, okay, we're going to start uh, speaking about Logan Mayo. Um, we'll talk about his skills first, and then I have a little bit of an update from, from a Swedish point of view uh, where Noran has done some really good reporting on this case as early as in December. But, but first and foremost, it is an interesting pick um, looking at it from a hockey standpoint. Yeah, you know, I, I wrote the profile on him where we tried to focus, well, I tried to focus solely on his skills, right? I'll be honest, I didn't agree with the pick for the same reason that most people don't agree with the pick. Because uh, what happened in Sweden, I thought should preclude his ability to be selected in the draft altogether. But once the pick was done and we determined, you know, we have to write something about this guy. We have to take a look at what, what actually he can do on the ice. So I tried to put everything as best as I could to the side and just look at, you know, what does he do on the ice? And when I did that, as much as I didn't agree with the pick, I see why the Montreal Canadians went in that direction. This guy has the deepest toolbox offensively that you're going to see from a defenseman of his age. And it's not quite close. You read a lot of different scouting reports. There's people who are saying, you know, if, if what happened didn't happen, this guy's probably gone in the top 20, maybe even the top 10, because this kid has the complete package when it comes to offensive skills. He has a ridiculous slap shot. Oddly enough, that's not even his best shot. His best shot is his wrist shot. He can get it off from anywhere. He can shoot from both feet. Uh, and he has a spring loaded release. Like, I mean, this guy, legitimately can shoot off the rush it, it doesn't matter if you get him the puck in the offensive zone he can get that wrist shot off and it is a very heavy wrist shot um, and again like I said his slap shot's no joke either he draws some comparisons to Shea Weber as a result of his slap shot his size profile it's enough to make most NHL scouts drool 
he's listed at six foot three, but people think that he's probably closer to about six foot five right now. And he's already about 215 pounds at 18 years old. So he's going to get bigger and scarier. Um, the drawbacks, however, one of the most interesting quotes that I read was from hockey prospect in their draft guide. Uh, I think it's a perfect quote where they said, this guy has a, like an unimaginable ceiling, but below him is a floor made of fractured glass. What they mean by that is that this kid has unbelievable potential, but below him, there is that flat fractured glass floor where he has some issues on defense, right? We're not just talking about the off the ice issues. We're talking about some on ice issues as well, where he has some problems in terms of his decision-making. Sometimes he'll be responsible for the front of the net and he'll go chasing a puck in the corner to try and put a hit on somebody. He doesn't pick his spots very well when he goes to jump into the rush. So oftentimes that means he has to get back and he's a very good skater so he can get back. But when he has to pivot the skating backwards, there's some issues. He's not very smooth at pivoting. He needs to work on that a lot because he loves to jump into the rush. And when you love to jump into the rush as a defenseman, you know, there's going to come times where it breaks down and you have to get back. So your pivoting has to be on point and his isn't. Um, really it boils down to decision-making and positioning in the defensive zone that are big problems for him. And if he can't overcome those, if he can't make adjustments on those, then there's a good chance that he'll never make the NHL. If he can, then there's a good chance that this guy could legitimately potentially compete for a Norris trophy at one point. He has that much of a toolbox on offense. And we know that the voters, they love offensive defensemen when they're voting for the Norris. They don't necessarily look at defensive guys. Uh, I mean, again, when I put everything aside and I tried just to ignore what I already know that made me disagree with the pick in the first place, and I just looked at him as a player, I understand why the Habs went there. This is similar to some other picks. It's kind of a lottery ticket because he's got work to do on certain areas of his game. But the thing is, the areas of his game that he needs to work on with skating and with decision-making, they're areas that you can easily fix. So is if he puts in the work... a lottery pick in the same way as McCarron and Julison, was it? I I don't think it's I don't think McCarron is anywhere in his league in terms of puck skills, right? McCarron was a guy that they picked based on almost entirely physicality. Mayu is a guy that they're picking entirely on skill. And again, there's there's issues defensively, but his offensive skills, again, I think I forget which guide it was from i think it was from hockey prospect but several of their scouts mentioned that this is the top offensive defenseman in the draft the top and they weren't just this wasn't hyperbole this was them saying that legitimately they believed he was the number one offensive defenseman in the draft the only reason this guy didn't go higher is because of you know what happened off the ice which again for me was enough reason to not draft him at all but again i see why the habs overlooked that Because and let's, let's be honest here, because and, and now we're going to go into the off ice issues. So if you don't want to listen to this, uh, please turn off now. We appreciate you've been listening so far. And uh, it's not going to be a long discussion about it. I think we just want to voice some news that we want to share. And uh, first and foremost, I think you and I both agree, Matt, that everyone deserves second chances. Like that, that, that is part of a correctional system that, that should work. You, you make mistakes and you 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 stand up for them and uh, you you learn from them and, and become better a better person and contribute to the society down the line. Um, for me, I didn't agree with the pick either, partly because I'm Swedish and I didn't feel that the punishment was fair in regards to the crime. 
So I searched a little bit and, and I spoken to, to the reporters that broke this story in December in Sweden. Let's be honest, it's been out there since de December. I think the first article was the 10th December. I'm not sure, but the article I'm going to quote now is from the 18th of December. It's from Noran. Uh, we have had people from Noran obviously on the podcast before because they obviously worked uh, or, or looked after Cholefteo when, when uh, Jacob Olofsson played there. They are very good reporters. They're very good journalists. And they contacted uh, the district attorney to hear what he had to say about this. And, and there are certain things about the Swedish uh, court system that you will have to understand. You get a discount if it's your first offense, which I also agree with. Uh, you get a discount if you're under 21. Uh, these are the discounts that you get. Um, we have a system that is based on a per diem, which means that if I make, um, get a per diem um, fine, it is based on my actual salary, which means that people that doesn't earn as much, they are paying this more or less the same kind of fine as people that earns tons of money that will obviously have to pay more because they have a bigger per diem. Um, and, and this is part why the fine was so low, but the district attorney had a couple of things to say. Um, and first and foremost, he had to go with a lower crime level and, and uh, a lower punishment because there were risk of Mayo going back to Canada. So priority for the district attorney was to convict the, the person in question. Uh, and then he also say, um, th there is no good alternative um, for, for a junior uh, in regards to, to, to send them to jail or youth, uh, a youth center. Uh, but it is, if it would have been a grown-up person, he would have asked for um, a, a jail sentence. So that's how, how big of a deal this is for, for us in Sweden. Um, I'm happy that there is uh, a record on it. Um, I don't know enough about how the uh, victim feels. Um, I would have to say that going back to after all this and going back to high school, uh, last year of high school uh, in a couple of weeks, I, I think that is devastating for her. Uh, and I feel sorry for her in many ways. Um, and and but, but the, there, there really is. And if you want to read this or, or find it, the article is from the 18th of December 2020 in Noran. You can, you can find it. And um, the, the, the punishment for, for a grown up would have been jail time. He got the, the top per diem fine you can get in Sweden is 150 days. He got 70. One of the party leaders slandered uh, a, a, a lawyer that represented someone that had sued her and uh, called him into question. And she got to fine uh, 60 per diems. Just to tell you the level where the district attorney actually thought that this crime was. So, so, so this is a serious crime. The district attorney thinks so as well. This is something we have to acknowledge. I myself 
would never take a photo in this situation. I seriously would. I'm born of a different era, but it's not respectful. It's not the smart thing to do. I'm aware of the repercussions and fair play. I would not be able to become a teacher if I was convicted of such a crime. And I knew that already then. We can question the decision making, but it's not a mistake because the person in question is aware what he is doing at all times. From my point of view, this is inexcusable. This is not the person I want on my team. Now he's here. I will judge him how he behaves off the ice, first and foremost. That will be the most important thing for me. Before he has shown clear remorse and I hear something about the victim having acknowledged an apology. This is my opinion. These are my beliefs. You can disagree, but this is where I stand and this is where I draw the line. I find crimes like these unexcusable and I find them very, very serious. He will have to show his off-ice behavior having improved before I can start judging his on-ice behavior. It's up to him to show that he is sincere in his apology and that he can do something good from this. When he has shown that, when he has shown that remorse and shown that the victim has been thought of, then I will judge him fairly for his on-ice performance. But until then, I will keep my thoughts to myself. Listen, I, I agree with you on that last part. Absolutely. Is uh, I think at this point, you know, we, we know what happened. It's, you know, for, for me, my, my, I don't feel bad for him. My heart goes out to the victim. Uh, I, I just hope that, you know, she finds some peace in this because you know, I saw his um, his interview after he got drafted. And, you know, that that seemed to me like somebody who's contrite. I saw contrition there, but it doesn't matter. Like my opinion on whether or not he's contrite is irrelevant. The only opinion that matters in terms of that is the victim. And all reports seem to suggest that she does not feel that he was contrite. So I think he still has some work to do there. I think that, you know, the Habs should maybe help him reach out and try to make amends on her end. Um, I know because you, you had told me, Pat, that part of the fine uh, that gets levied in Sweden does go to the victim. But I don't think, you know, th this can't have been a monetary thing for her because it's not like he was making millions of dollars at that point anyways. Right. Uh, so I, I think maybe he just needs to do some more work to, to actually make her feel like he's contrite and that he feels bad about what he did and that he understands the impact of his actions. Because again, me looking at his interview, I feel like he was contrite, but it doesn't matter what any of us think by looking at an interview with him. It matters more how she feels. Um, but I agree with you 100%. We should judge him at this point on how he acts off the ice and on the ice moving forward. Um, because, you know, he's, like it or not, he is a member of the Montreal Canadiens now. They may have irreparably damaged their reputation as a result of taking him. So they obviously feel that this is a very good player. When I put everything aside and I just looked at what he does on the ice, uh, again, I, I see why they went there. Uh, I still don't agree with it, but I, I see why. 
because there's a lot of promise there. And I think that they think that they can unlock that. I just hope that they're also focused on trying to make sure that he properly makes amends off the ice because, you know, you mentioned second chances. I, I believe in second chances too, but really for him, this is still kind of his first chance. He, he didn't really suffer any impact to his hockey career. Uh, he did suffer some consequences in Sweden. Uh, it's good to know that they took that seriously and that they considered it a very serious crime, but um, he didn't really suffer any consequences in terms of his hockey career. So he's facing a little bit of that now with all the media scrutiny. And uh, again, you know, how he acts from here is going to be uh, very important to people eventually accepting him and those who are very against the pick, you know, maybe even more so than myself uh, to accepting that and, you know, getting behind him as a player. Indeed. And uh, it is really up to Montreal to, to, to work with a player and maybe with uh, different organizations in maybe even in Sweden, but definitely around Montreal to, to, to build up trust and to, to make sure that this has a, a important change because I hope that all of us, I work as a social studies teacher for, for seventh to ninth graders where, where we discuss those subjects with teenagers myself and, uh, Maybe we can learn something from this and, and have conversations with our kids and our teenagers about what is correct and what is not correct. And, and it's all about respect in, in the long run. Uh, I hope I, I, I had conveyed my feelings in a respectful way. We thank you guys for listening. It's been a long pod. It's obviously the draft pod. Um, we're looking forward to hear some of it, or, or we're, we're, we're actually looking forward to hear all of the comments. But please, um, if you, if you feel the need to, to comment on this, make sure it is in a respectful way to everyone. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.